Ladies and gentlemen, brace yourselves for a breath of fresh air on the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and today we're thrilled to host an industry titan, a man leaving his clean and clear footprint in the world of air purification, the one and only Peter Mann. Peter is the powerhouse CEO and founder of Aransi, a leading light in air purification, hailing from the vibrant state of Virginia. Known for its clever, effective, and trustworthy products, Aransi has taken the industry by storm under Peter's expert leadership. And it doesn't stop there. He also holds the helm as a chair of the Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers Clean Air Cleaner Council. Talk about clearing the air. In 2021, Aransi, like a mighty gust of wind, merged with Avamore Technologies, sweeping away old norms and injecting fresh innovation into the landscape. Aransi has now evolved into a motor technology company on a mission to drive clean energy forward. All this magic happens in Aransi's cutting-edge manufacturing facility in Radford, Virginia, where they're making products in the USA using advanced motor technologies. But let's take a step back. Before Aransi, there was Allencore, an Austin, Texas-based air purification enterprise that Peter built and nurtured. After seven years of steering Allencore through clear skies, Peter landed successfully and took flight on his next big adventure. Now let's dive even a little deeper. Peter is not just about success in the boardroom. He's had his fair share of adventures at C2. Awarded a Navy ROTC scholarship, Peter served four years in the Navy, including a tour in the Red Sea during the first Gulf War. On the USS McCandless, he was a communications officer and later a gunnery officer. There's room for everyone in the clear and open environment that Peter fosters. Late diagnosed with autism, Peter now shines a spotlight on autism awareness in the workplace, standing up for inclusion and diversity. So folks, Prepare to be energized as we welcome this phenomenal game changer, Peter Mann, to the show. Join me as we dive into an enlightening conversation on the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Hey, Peter, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great. Thanks, Jim, for having me. Absolutely, bud. Absolutely. I, I'm really excited to have this conversation today uh, and and see where the, the, the talk goes. Uh, it's always fun on this show because it's unscripted. Uh, sometimes we, we go off in directions that, that one would never have imagined. So I'm excited to see where we, we go on our journey today. Uh, Peter, before we jump into talking about culture, uh, give us a little bit of background about Aransi. Um, what is it? Uh, what What is the air purification that you're making? How many people do you have working for you? Give us some of the details. Sure. So I started this business in 2009 um, and I got interested in air quality because my son struggled with asthma as an infant and I was looking for a solution to help him and, and people like him um, mm -hmm. just to be able to breathe better. And so, um, you know, I, I started the business um, and it was just me <laughs> at the beginning, but I had, you know, a number of relationships with factories, especially in China. Sure. Um, and so leveraging um, those relationships, um, uh, you know, I was able to, you know, develop some products and start selling online since that was that was my background yeah um yeah and and it's kind of grown obviously since then um to you know initially adding some customer service folks in the us and then you know when covid hit the market just kind of exploded um, yeah. and that's when we merged with the um, electric motor company in virginia and moved to virginia um, purchased a large manufacturing facility, and now we're, you know, kind of on the cusp of, you know, introducing our, our first products that we're making here. That's uh, awesome. In the U.S., yeah. That's really neat. That's really neat. So, uh, and you were in Austin before Virginia? Yeah, I was in Austin for 20 years. Wow. Uh, I, wor I worked at Dell for a few years, and that was some good experience. And then I 
co-founded um, an e-commerce business. And then part of that Allen brand that you referenced came out uh -huh. of that. But we, we sold Got some it. other products too. Um, okay. Yeah, but that was my step into entrepreneurship. <laughs> <laughs> Which has now led you to this place that, that you're in now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and selling that business provided the cash to start this business. Wonderful. Um, which was kind of nice. So I didn't have to go and, and get funding and spend time doing that. I could just spend time on the business. That's great. That's great. So Peter, let's, let's talk about the culture at around C. Um, you know, you were, it was just you when you started, um, and you've slowly grown and now you're in this facility, uh, in, in Virginia. So talk to us. I, I, I don't know if we need to talk about the culture when it was founded because it was just you, <laughs> but let's, let's talk about the, the culture, uh, where you are now, um, with, with the employees that you have, how do you think your culture is? And, and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So, um, so the way we're structured is, you know, we, we bought this manufacturing facility, it's 156,000 square feet. So it's pretty huge. <laughs> and we've been in the process of, you know, um, fixing it up and, you know, making it as, you know, modern as possible. And That's right now, our, yeah. So right now, you know, our staff is a lot of um, engineers um, and um, warehouse fulfillment folks in our mm -hmm. uh, Virginia facility. And then we have, you know, probably um, 12 or 13 folks that are remote workers spread across the country that are doing marketing, customer service, sales type functions. And so, you know, in terms of culture, it's, you know, I think the, the challenge is when you have, you know, um, you know, like 15 or 20 people at our factory here, and then you've got, you know, almost a similar number <laughs> remote is trying to keep everybody um, feeling as part of the same team. Sure. Um, yeah. And so that's, um, I guess, a challenge that, that we face with that. You know, our, our plan going forward is we really ramp up manufacturing is probably get to 100 plus people, you know, at our factory. Wow. Um, yeah. And so that's, <clears throat> you know, it's, um, you, you know, and so it's, it's not just managing the culture of the folks that are here in person. It's, it's the other people to make them feel, um, you know, that we're all part of the same team and even though Absolutely. you're not physically with someone. And I think that kind of came out of, you know, COVID when a lot of jobs went remote and, yeah. and it's, you know, how do you manage a hybrid team? Mm -hmm. um, and keep everyone engaged and in the know because you don't have those like you know hallway water cooler conversations <laughs> absolutely that, that people here have and so it's it's always like remembering like did, did we communicate that or you know is everyone on on the same page yeah absolutely and and as you scale your your manufacturing uh to a hundred plus ish uh in in house how big do you imagine that remote team growing to? Yeah, I mean, I, I see him growing just may, possibly a little bit, but we're, our goal is to try and, you know, have as many folks here at our facility as possible. Sure. Because um, I think it's easier to manage culture when you're together. I guess that's maybe more of an old school <laughs> kind of thinking, but I think there's value in, you know, face-to-face. -face. Um, yes and at no. least At least on a, um, at least on a, you know, some part-time basis. Um, I think you just connect better with, um, you know, with others, but not, not that you have to be here, you know, all the time. Absolutely. Well, and I, I think that that all is dependent on what kind of culture you're looking to develop, right? If, it, if, I mean, we're all in manufacturing here. I don't know of anybody who listens to this, who isn't in manufacturing, maybe my mom, hi mom. Um, but I will say that we as an industry typically have cultures that foster innovation um, and collaboration, but usually that's done in person, right? We're, we're not like a law firm or uh, 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 other industries that can collaborate virtually. A lot of what we collaborate on is 
physical things that you can't scan and send off. So I, I see where you're coming from. And I, I don't necessarily think that's an old school mindset. I think it's just dependent on the the industry we're in. Is that fair? Yeah, that, that yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair statement. And when I think about culture, I think about, you know, my past experiences and places I've worked. Um, and, you know, before I started um, that e-commerce business um, in Austin, I, you know, I worked for Dell. And then prior to that, I, that I worked for a company called Tech Data, which is, you know, was a Fortune 100 wow. computer distributor. And so um, what was interesting about that is the Tech Data, you know, salary wise, you know, was, you know, was was pretty good, but wasn't great. But the culture mm -hmm. was really good in that they really valued people. And uh, then when I went to Dell, the culture was just completely different where <laughs> it's like <laughs> you were like on your own, you know, they, they gave folks stock options and that's what the motivation was, but they didn't sure. necessarily treat people in my opinion, um, you know, nearly as well. Sure. And it was just kind of a stark difference. And so that's always stuck with me, you know, in terms of, you know, how you treat people and how you want to be treated and, what kind of uh, organization you want. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, and then going back even further, talk, talk to us about your experience in the Navy. Has that helped you shape your culture, uh, your cultural journey at all? Um, yeah, I would say so. Like, you know, when you're in the Navy, you're just thrown into a position and you don't pick your team. You just, <laughs> you know, like, right. it's like, I guess it's like being a teacher. You don't pick your students. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, that that's, that's who you have. You know, there's no job interviews and you have to make it work. Um, and you have to work with people that are very different. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that, that, you know, that only makes you better. And so for me, it's a lot about understanding different types of people and human behavior and, you know, what do, what does each person need to be their best self? Yeah, I, I think that's great. So how long did you serve, Peter? Yeah, I did. I had a four year commitment and that's what I did. I think okay. you either, I think you either do your four or five years and get out or you make a career of it. <laughs> that's kind of the <laughs> two choices. And for me, it was, um, it was a good experience, but I, you know, we were, um, overseas and, um, you know, I, I didn't, you know, it was kind of funny when you go and you did all the Navy training and all the schooling, but you, like, we never thought we'd be in war because there hadn't been a war when I was right. growing up, you know, through most of the seventies and eighties. And it's like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, there's just as a, you know, surface warfare officer, you kind of have your day job and then you also have to, you know, drive the ship and, have other responsibilities. And so sleep wasn't a normal thing. And yeah, I was just like, I, I don't think I could do this for 20 or 25 years. <laughs> just like, the routine, there's no like lack of routine was, was more of the problem and lack of sleep was sure was kind of where I struggled. Sure. Well, thank you for your service. Um, and uh, really, really admire people who who go out and uh, put themselves on the line like that. So thank you. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, let's talk about some of the key values that you have at Arancy um, and that you've tried to instill with the team as you're growing. What what are the key values uh, for the organization and, and for yourself? I mean, I think, you know, when I think of value is just valuing, valuing other people. Um, and I think it's really understanding where folks are coming from. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the default position is, you know, everyone's doing their best or trying their best, but we're not necessarily, you know, speaking the same language or don't have all the same facts that somebody else has. And so, you know, if sure. we give, give, give others the benefit of the doubt and um, get aligned, um, I think is, is the big key thing and listen to people yeah. um, because, you know, this, you know, the loudest, um, most senior person doesn't have the best ideas. <laughs> so, you know, we kind of like you were talking before about innovation, innovation is critical in manufacturing yeah. and you really need the best ideas to come to the surface and, um, you know, and evaluate things based on the ideas and as well as value people. So folks want to contribute 
um, and can perform their best. And so I think it's really respecting other people, embracing differences and, yeah. you know, and, and for, for us, it's really just like, you know, how do we do the best we can as an organization and how do we get there? And, you know, just because something was done one way, doesn't mean <laughs> in the past, doesn't mean you have to continue doing it that way. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite things that I hear um, from shops all the time, uh, and it doesn't matter what region or even what country uh, I've been in, there's always a shop or two that says this. Uh, when I ask them why they do something, it's because that's the way it's always been done. And I think <laughs> we we have such a, a, an in, interesting industry because we have very bright people who solve problems and do things different ways. But the mainstay uh, philosophy of the industry seems to be, well, that's just the way it's always been done. So it, it, it's it's kind of wild that way. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, the market is so competitive. It's like, you know, I think the people that win are the ones that find better ways to do things. And it's like, you have to, you have to be open to change. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about change. Um, when you merged with, is it Avamore Technologies? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Avimore. Um, Avimore. How, how did you navigate that process of merging two distinct what i would imagine company cultures into one unified front yeah so that was that that company um was really more of a startup and then okay. we invested in them and we were heading down the path of developing an air purifier with them and then decided it would be best just to merge the companies just to really align um you know, the two, the two groups into one. So everyone's sure. kind of pulling together. Um, and so from a cultural standpoint, um, you know, we've kind of built out the team from there. And so it wasn't a huge um, change in terms of merging the cultures. Um, it's really more of what I talked about before is like, we have the folks here, mm -hmm. which is a lot of the folks that came out of the Avi Moore group. And then, and then a lot of the Ronsi folks were remote. And so it's bringing those two <laughs> together. Yeah. And the dynamic is more of having remote people and on-site people being part of one team has really been the, the challenge. I think everyone uh, thinks in a similar way and um, we're all kind of wired similarly. It's just, um, it's just the remote versus on-site difference. And, and so let's talk more about that. How, how have you navigated that hybrid and you know, employee uh, or associate or whatever you call the people who work at, at your organization. How do you navigate that that hybrid environment? Yeah, I mean, it, communication is the the biggest thing. We use a lot of tools like Slack, and we you know everyone's kind of connected together there. We do a lot of Zoom, mm -hmm. Google Meet meetings, um, just to kind of see everyone's face and you know kind of connect on on different things. And so it's. To me, it's all about communication. Sure. Um, and you know, when you email someone, you copy all the people that might be interested in knowing that. Not that everyone needs more emails, but <laughs> I think it's that there's value in having everyone on the same page. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Have, have so other than Slack, and I don't want to spoil any of the initiatives uh, towards the end, but. Uh, other than Slack, what are some other tools that, that you use uh, to navigate uh, this hybrid environment? Because I think that's uh, something that is more unique and, and less we find it less in manufacturing uh, that there is a, uh, a remote uh, percentage of your employees. Not a whole lot of manufacturers have that. Uh, in our industry. So I, I think people are going to be pretty intrigued with that idea. Uh, what are some other tools that, that you've used? Yeah. So, I mean, Slack's a big one, just kind of just like text messaging groups <laughs> of sure. people, but you know, for projects we use like Asana, it's a lot of software okay. um, that, you know, uh, you know, multiple people can access and kind of com uh, communicate together a lot sure. of you know we use google workspace and so there's a lot of you know multiple people can comment on a, a document good um and so it's it's 
you know, it's kind of making the remote, you know, uh, work environment or projects kind of um, connected with everyone in a way that, you know, makes it efficient, but also makes it to where um, someone's just not off on their own doing something, you don't know, (laughs) kind of what's going on. And so it's a lot of the, you know, kind of software tools, or it's kind of like an ERP system to track Sure. Um, you know, purchasing and, and manufacturing and kind of tying it all together, but it's having software to kind of keep people together on certain projects. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so Aransi's got a, a very important mission, you know, air purification, clean energy type stuff. Um, how how do you ensure that the employees you have and the employees that you're looking to hire as you scale are aligned? You, you used the word alignment earlier. How do you ensure that they're aligned with, with that mission and uh, integrate those values that you talked about into their daily roles? Yeah, we've had a, um, we've brought on folks, especially during COVID, uh, pretty good onboarding process to, okay. um, you know, align people with, you know, kind of how we do things. There's a employee handbook that kind of outlines policies. Um, And the managers take a, uh, you know, a strong, I guess, role in ensuring, you know, that, you know, when someone comes on, they're just not, I guess, the thrown to the wolves thing, but there's, there's a process where you're kind of integrated into the organization. Um, Yeah. I would say that's, the you know the onboarding process is kind of because that's kind of what you remember when you when you start somewhere kind <laughs> of you know are you kind of left on your own or are you someone kind of introduce you to folks and kind of let you know you know how things work well yeah it's a it's a huge milestone in that employee experience journey right uh the the first the first exposure that somebody has is the job posting itself that they apply to whether that's on indeed or linkedin or wherever but that next big milestone after the interviewing process is that onboarding process and and that tends to be from what i see with the people i've worked with that tends to be like you said that that moment in their tenure that every employee remembers and and i look back at my time at various companies i remember the onboarding process i may not remember uh you know what happened in year two or year three but i remember the onboarding process and and various things throughout the uh my time at each organization so that's a great point um peter uh let's let's completely shift gears and and talk uh, about autism. Um, You were, when were you diagnosed uh, with autism? So for, yeah, for me, it was during COVID is when we kind of realized Ah, I was was autistic. Yeah. My wife was watching a CBS morning show and they were profiling a woman who's autistic and she was describing her traits and she's like, oh, you need to watch this because it basically was the same traits I have in terms of like hyper focus, seeing things that other people miss. Yeah. Um, some things like that. And I was like, oh, wow, that's that's kind of crazy. And, you know, what led up to that bef- previously was just some communication issues that we would had that was kind of like, <laughs> what's wrong with you? How come you're not like reacting like a normal person? And I was like, I don't know. I just like, <laughs> I, know, I didn't know how to react to that situation. And so then when we saw that, that, that um, segment, I was like, oh, and, you know, so then I just went online and took some um, like a screening assessments. There's a number of screening tools to um, the, the interesting one is the, the, the probably the best one is a 50 question test. And it's this guy, Simon Baron Cohen, who's a Cambridge professor. Yeah. And his cousin is Sasha Baron Cohen, which is like pretty hilarious. That's hilarious. Uh, I, I, I was going to say that name sounds familiar. Right? Yeah, that's why. Yeah, Borat's his cousin. <laughs> and, so, and so he came up with this 50-question test, which is kind of the standard, I guess, that most people reference in terms of a screening tool. And, uh, you know, 
a typical person scores like 16 to 18 and an autistic person tends, you know, I think the vast majority score above 30 and I, I scored a 43 on the first one. And I was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and then I took some more and they were all consistent. And okay. then, you know, I finally found someone that could do the official diagnosis that, um, which wasn't in and of itself wasn't an easy process because the whole uh, industry is set up for children. Right. And, you know, what's happened is, it, you know, if, if you weren't diagnosed in the last 15 or 20 years, you, unless you were very high supports needs, you pretty much were not diagnosed because sure. no one was. And so yeah. now you have all these adults who are autistic that don't know it. <laughs> Absolutely. around. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that there's absolutely something to that. Uh, and that was going to be my next question. What what percentage, because this idea of of this, uh, of it being a spectrum is relatively new. I mean, when I was growing up, when you were growing up, it, it was labeled something different and something I don't even want to put uh, out on airwaves, right? Um, but now we've we've come to this realization that there's a spectrum of neurodiversity and so uh, how many people do you think that we know just in day-to-day -day life are walking around undiagnosed and and uh, you know having it affect their lives and them not understand yeah it's a lot i i you know i was in school in the 70s and 80s. And I, I know in the 70s, the diagnosis rate was about one in 2,500. Wow. And so in the latest numbers that came out a few weeks ago was they have it at one in 36. And it's not that there's more autistic people now, they're just finally being diagnosed. And it's because the diagnosis or the diagnostic criteria has changed. And there's better awareness that what you know autism is um and some people have been diagnosed with other things which is which is not correct right <laughs> so, and so if you have all these people that were you know if it's one in 36 you know it's probably two percent of the population you know wow. if you know if you're a late millennial and older um very few of those folks were diagnosed and you just take two percent of whatever that population it's a big number yeah, I'm going to have to get that uh, assessment uh, from you. My wife and and I have had that conversation a couple of times. And, and I don't know if it was the same Sunday CBS Sunday morning uh, segment that she saw. Um, but there was something that she was watching that she's like, hey, you might want to check this out. <laughs> so so <laughs> very similar moment. Um, yeah. So so Peter. Um, Oh man, I lost my question. Good thing this is a podcast and I can edit this part out. <laughs> um, I'll come back to it. Uh, so Peter, as somebody who was, has been diagnosed with late in, in life, does that help make sense of your life prior to your diagnosis? I mean, does that, connect some dots for you in your head uh, uh, with things that you remember from growing up from your early adulthood that didn't necessarily make sense at the time but now with your diagnosis it, it kind of connects those dots yeah i think when you you know you're late diagnosed you, you i think it's natural to go back and just relive a lot of key moments in your life yeah and you you see it through a different lens and, you know, for me, it's just, and there's so many examples, but just the you know, basic one is just as a really young kid, um, constantly being scolded for not making eye contact when it's like, when I do that, my brain shuts down and it's like, my choice is I look someone in the eyes so I don't get scolded for not making eye contact. Um, and, and in that process, I can't really think through how to best respond to whatever they're saying or I don't make eye contact and I'm, you know, more fully functional, but then you're, you're kind of being rude. It's kind of like a lose, lose <laughs> situation. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like, wow, it's like, and at the time I didn't think there was anything wrong with me. I just, just felt I was different and I didn't have, you know, you know, 
you know, and, and so what you end up doing is what they call masking, which is you kind of fake look someone in the eye, but you're not looking in the eye, but you make them think they're looking at you. And it's like, there's so many examples of that, that it's, it's kind of exhausting, but you're doing it. So you, you don't get perceived as being a rude person, but you know, sure. still, still function properly. And, you know, it, I kind of like give myself a pass or, um, you know, I don't get beat myself up for that because I'm just wired differently. It's not, you know, anything. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just, it's just an awareness um, kind of thing. But there's like so many examples. Um, wow. <laughs> that I well, can go it, through. That's almost just a survival mechanism at that point. Is that masking? Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. And then what's, what's crazy is when you do get the um autism diagnosis then you're like well who am i then like am i masking am i masking in this situation <laughs> oh like because you're you're almost like an actor sometimes i mean i know True. i've had to give speeches and stuff and it's like an out-of-body experience sometimes <laughs> when i'm doing it and it's um it's it's weird and there's you know i start reading about it and there's a lot of famous people who you know or, you know, they say they're autistic or, you know, they, they, you know, lived a while back and you're like, oh yeah, they, they, they meet all the criteria. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So what, what kinds of initiatives or strategies have you implemented uh, to increase autism awareness, awareness of the spectrum in general um, and understanding of that uh, within your team? uh that at Aransi. yeah i haven't really like talked about it too much uh with people okay. here but I, I do a fair amount of linkedin posting about it and people read the posts <laughs> yeah so, you know and some people uh will come up and talk to me but it's not something i'm pushing in anyone's face or True. Um, making a, a fuss about but i do kind of um you know, kind of share what it's like to be an autistic person. And it's really more for awareness and trying to normalize it. Um, I love that. And and for those of you listening, please follow Peter Mann. Uh, it, there, and there's two ends on the end of man. So Peter Mann on LinkedIn, search for him, follow him. He's got some great stuff on there. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, the, you know, when they say there's a spectrum, it's because, you know, we're all different and, you know, we have different strengths and weaknesses and some things that are challenges for some folks aren't challenges for other folks. It's, you know, you can't yeah. you just put somebody in a box and it's like, oh, you're autistic. It's like, well, there's a lot of diversity with <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, autism um, group. And then there's, you know, these things called co-occurring conditions, which may or may not be present, which is, you know, ADHD or cognition or speech or, you know, a number sure. of different things. And so it's, it's real. And then there's different levels of intensity or magnitudes within those. And so it, 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 it really is this broad, you know, kind of a spectrum, I guess. Yeah. And, and so manufacturing has always kind of been viewed as a more traditional sector uh industry um so what can the industry do uh to support uh neurodiverse individuals yeah the biggest issue uh, so if you look at the you know aut autism is is a minority and it's a, it's considered a disability about okay. uh, ADA, it's, it's and um, the unemployment rates. The statistics are kind of all over the place, but it's I've seen it as high as eighty to five, eighty to eighty-five percent unemployment rate. Wow! And the issue is, you just can't survive the interview process. And so, I think um, making uh, changing the interview process to make it more friendly to you know anyone. Um, yeah. And so it's. Um, the, the challenge is it's historically been kind of geared towards, you know, social extroverts. <laughs> yeah, you're, absolutely. If you're not wired that way, like you don't make eye contact or like this guy's weird. They're, they're not going to fit in, <laughs> in our team. Um, you, you yeah. know, you're missing out on some fantastic people. And so a lot of it's about setting expectations, you know, providing questions ahead of time, um, you know, if you can provide a schedule, like this is where you go, this is what you wear, this is who you're going to meet with, these are the questions we're going to ask, like allow someone to come prepared. 
because a lot of times when we're asked questions, if it's not something we thought about before, it may take some time to respond. And for a lot of people that do interviews, it's like, well, that was an awkward pause. <laughs> and it's like, no, I'm just thinking through a lot of different things and how to give the best answer. It's a different, it's like, um, it, it's like, the, the folks that are autistic being interviewed, there's not an awareness for kind of what they're going through. Sure. Um, and so they're just not set up for success. And so having an interview process that's friendly and asking, you know, are there any accommodations that you need to make? And the main accommodation is really just getting the questions ahead of time so you can show up prepared. Um, that's great. For how that's to a answer a curveball question that you had <laughs> you <hadn't> thought of. <laughs> no, I, I, I like that a lot. Um, that's a great tip for myself and, and anybody's listening. Um, you know, we are the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Uh, it, we've had multiple guests talk about uh, as they're going through their process of hiring, they they screen for cultural fit. And so how, how can someone who's hiring, uh, recognize, uh, and understand cultural fit of somebody who's on the spectrum who may uh, appear awkward, right? Have that awkward pause. But in, in reality, that's just them uncomfortable because they're on the spectrum. Does that question make sense? Yeah. And I think it's a little, um, so for me, I think what's, what's different is if you're neurodivergent, especially autistic, you tend to be more of a bottoms up thinker and you're thinking through a lot of details. Okay. I think most typical people are top down thinkers. Um, and when you're a bottom up thinker, you're just thinking through so many more things. And that's, that's why you're sitting there, you know, and like for me internally, my brain is just going a million miles an hour, but my face is <laughs> like no expression <laughs> on it. And it's like, it's like what's going on inside is in no way matching what I'm showing. And that doesn't, you know, that, that's not perceived very well. And so I think it's having an understanding that that's what's going on. Um, I think in terms of like, does this person fit the type of person we're looking to have on our team? It's like, I, I think it's like, you know, are you about innovation and, you know, or are you around everyone kind of looks and talks the same way? Um, yeah. You know, and it's like to get innovation, I think you need diversity of thought and it's, you need different types of people. So you need to be open to people that might seem a little bit different um instead of like having everybody that's the same because i think that's limiting in terms of your ability to innovate yeah i i agree wholeheartedly uh so peter i mean outside of let me back up a little bit so in, in my experience, people who are neurodivergent on the spectrum, autism, et cetera, um, are very good when it comes to repetitive tasks that you see a lot in manufacturing, whether that's working on a CNC machine, whether that's working in a stamping and press uh, facility or, or whatever it may be. It, has that been your experience as well? Is, is, is the manufacturing industry a good fit for neurodiverse people? Yeah, I, mean, I think it can be. It, it depends on the individual. Okay. Um, you know, if you're wired in a way that you like the um, routine, which is a very common thing <laughs> with mm -hmm. autistic people. Um, the other thing is they're I think among the most loyal of employees, like you're so hungry to get a job, you get a job, like that's your focus. Sure. Um, and so I think they, you know, we do make great employees. Not everyone that's, you know, autistic and neurodivergent is that way. I know there's you know, of several people and they, they tend to um, be more on the creative side. Um, you know, I don't know if sure. the correlation is they seem to be more ADHD type, <laughs> but they're super <laughs> creative and they move between different things. And then there's like another group of people that, you know, maybe autistic that are just like what you described that are dialed in and they can do, you know, repetitive tasks um, and enjoy doing it. 
Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it really just depends on the individual, but I, I think like we're kind of just more on the extreme end of where typical people are sure. Um, in terms of that. So I think, yeah, in a manufacturing assembly process, they, there are some fantastic people, um, who just, or just, you know, that's their, you know, dream job is, <laughs> is to do that. And you're just wired for, um, you know, just focusing on something and, you know, kind of, you know, more routine, repetitive activities. Great. Is there, are there any organizations that help connect neurodivergent people uh, with careers uh, to help lessen that unemployment uh, rate? Uh, are there, is there anybody that, that the listeners should be thinking about reaching out to because everybody uh, in this industry is is struggling to find employees and and if they are looking to hire with some intention, um, it, are there groups organizations that they should be uh, reaching out to um, to to help? Yeah, I don't, I don't really um, can't think of any like national organizations. There tends to be local groups um, okay. in, in each area um, that that do that. And there are, you know, I've talked with some folks in specific, you know, cities um, that that do this. But it's it's kind of a patchwork of <laughs> of things. There's not like one group you can go to, and um, you know, and in general, I think they've only been somewhat successful. Just looking at the unemployment numbers they're sure like nobody's crushing it so yeah. <laughs> it's not going down too much huh no it's it's not moving the needle <laughs> all right well it sounds like we need a little bit more intentionality uh to to make that happen um so what role do you take in educating i mean this is a big part of of who you are and your personal brand, um, what role do you take in, in educating um, not only our industry, but uh, the population as a whole about neurodivergent people and, and the spectrum? Yeah. So when I, you know, first started off, I did some posts on LinkedIn and I offered to support other autistic adults that were struggling to get hired or, you know, or they do have a job, but they're stuck and they can't move up just to kind of help coach them. Sure. And after a couple, few dozen, you know, um, Google meets or zoom meetings, it, I kind of came to the realization that it's not really the autistic people <laughs> who need to change. <laughs> it's, it's, it's more of a societal, um, issue. Um, sure. it's, it's how the interview process is structured. It's, you know, how companies, you know, kind of look at, um, you know, neurodivergent or autistic people um, and, and kind of educating them or raising the awareness around like what even autism is, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, simply is just a different way of thinking and perceiving and, you know, generally um, socializing or communicating. Sure. Um, it's, it's not less than, it's just different. And it's, and I think, I think most people want to do the right thing. And, and most people, you know, when you talk to them, they're like, Oh, I had no idea. And then, you know, people will change. Um, it's just, it's just an awareness issue. And I think it's an awareness issue because folks were not di diagnosed in the past that we even knew what this was <laughs> just like, yeah. I, yeah. And so I think it's, you know, going forward, I'm, you know, pretty optimistic that things are going to, you know, continue to get better. But, um, it's right now it's, you know, I think autistic people are doing just about in everything they can. I think they just need to be met halfway. Sure. So is there, is there room for, um, you know, some of these HRIS or human capital management systems, uh, you know, the, the bamboo HRs, uh, et cetera, to, to adjust their processes, their software platforms to make it a, a friendlier process when they're going through the hiring process and, and even the, the employment process, because I'm sure there are things uh, throughout employment 
uh, that trip up people who are on the spectrum. I, I, you know, just thinking about it off the top of my head, uh, performance management, you know, the, that review season, I can imagine being something that could be tricky if it comes out of left field or, or something of that nature. Am I off base in that, that thinking? Uh, no, that makes sense. I think like from uh, HR standpoint, I think there are some, some screening tools that I think that take bias out that just focus on traits. So you can sure. hire people that have natural strengths um, to fit into the job. I think those um, can be really helpful in terms of eliminating bias um, in terms of narrowing down the pool of people who are in consideration for a job. But I think the interview or the review process, you know, I, I think a lot of it is uh, with anything is about setting expectations. Okay. And I think if folks know, like, this is what my expectation is and this is how I'm doing, um, it's just, I, I think, like so many things, like the autistic person doesn't need to be treated differently. But they're often the canary in the coal mine to highlight there's a problem here and we can make the process better. And so when you make a process better for an autistic person, it almost always makes it better for everybody. Ah, and I so, like that. Yeah. yeah. And so it's not like it, a lot of these things don't cost anything, but it's it's really around awareness. And, you know, I would say for autistic folks, it's setting expectations and then sticking to that <laughs> and then <it> make <laughs> the biggest impact because it's like surprises don't go over well. Uh -huh. um, and nobody likes to be surprised, but it's an order of magnitude, <laughs> the impact that you feel. Um, sure. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess I would just, just answer it that way. I, uh, Peter, I'm, I've learned a lot in an hour so far. This has been great. Um, what are three, I mean, the, the last question I always ask uh, my guests here is what are three initiatives that, you've implemented to improve the culture at Arancy, um, or are you looking at impl implementing as you look to scale? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess you're never, your culture is never as, as great as you <laughs> would want it to be. It's always, <laughs> I think, a work in progress, but to me, it's the, the focus is just a reminder about communication mm -hmm. um, is really important. I think just treating people like you'd like to be treated and 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 stepping back and and trying to see things from other people's perspectives um because we all have different life experiences and we're approaching things from from different angles and i think um you know is it is it me that needs to look at something differently or do i or does someone that's working on something or upset about something just not seeing the full picture yeah, and, you know, and that's somewhat related to communication, but it's also, I think, you know, I just giving people the benefit benefit of the doubt, and it's just just assuming everyone has good intentions, which I think is the case, and then just kind of getting on the same page um, in terms of alignment. Sure. And then the third is just valuing people. <laughs> um, you know, giving good benefits. You know, I worked at a. You know, right, I got out of the Navy. I worked for a family business, which, you know, it's a pretty decent sized business, but gosh, they were so cheap to anyone that wasn't in the family. <laughs> and I was like, couldn't wait to get out of there. I just worked there to get experience to as a stepping stone to go somewhere else. But I had zero intention of st staying any longer <laughs> than I had to. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, I guess you can be cheap with people, but you're going to pay for it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you really need good people and, and you want good people to stay and you just have to treat them, you know, treat them right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Machinery wears out, uh, and is replaceable and, and people really aren't, uh, if you, if you truly value those people. Um, so Peter, uh, I really appreciate it. The, really the, the last thing that I give our, our guests an opportunity is if there's any parting comments, uh, wisdom that you want to impart on us, is, is there anything else that you'd like to share that you don't feel that you've had the opportunity to? Um, I mean, I, I would just kind of echo one of the 
the points I made, which is like a Steve Jobs quote is the best idea should win. And so, <laughs> and so it's like, check your ego at the door. And, you know, you know, if you want to innovate and get better as a company, you need to consider um, all the best ideas. And, you know, as we've been reshoring our manufacturing, um, also have to remind myself that it always takes longer and costs more <laughs> than, than you would, you would hope it would take, but that's just kind of the reality of it. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Peter. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up our exciting time with the extraordinary Peter Mann. Today, we've embarked on a journey through the culture of Arancy, a company that is not only leading the charge in air purification and clean energy, but also setting new standards for inclusion and diversity in the workplace. We've explored the impacts of Peter's background uh, in the Navy, uh, navigated the process of merging distinct company cultures, and got an inside look to the innovative day-to-day -day environment that makes Arancy tick. Uh, but most importantly, we we dove into the critical conversation about neurodiversity in the workplace and in the manufacturing industry with insights from Peter's personal experiences and his in initiatives as an advocate for autism awareness. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. For more compelling conversations and insights into the world of manufacturing culture, don't forget to visit our website at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. Uh, if you found today's episode interesting, we encourage you to share it with your friends and colleagues. Let's keep this conversation going and spread the word about exciting changes in the manufacturing industry. We'd love it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show on whatever podcast platform you listen to it on. Your feedback helps us bring you more of the content you love and supports us in bringing you fantastic guests like Peter Mann today. So until we meet again, have a good day and as always, keep making things. Mm -hmm.